Hey everybody, welcome back. It is I, Dr. Pete Lucio, sitting across from, again, registered dietitian Christopher Barrett. And today, we are going to be talking about intermittent fasting, also known by some as time-restricted eating. Um, it's, a Chris, it's a topic Chris and I have gone back and forth on a couple of times. Um, Chris has more formal education and clinical experience, whereas mine is Googling on the internet (laughs) and listening to Rob Wolf talk. Uh, it's more than that, but you know, uh, so I I think it's, firstly, we should say, are we going to be talking about general population or athletes? So I think what we'll start with, let's start with just the general population. Gen pop. And then what we'll do is we'll go into sort of the athlete's world. Okay. General population. Oh, well, actually, you had mentioned earlier we should define what it is first, right? Yeah, so for those people who don't know what intermittent fasting is, essentially what it is is it's a sort of a set pattern at which you're going to eat, stop, and then eat again, Mm -hmm. right? So that's really a basic definition. There's so many different types of uh, sort of facets that you can sort of fast, right? So you can do uh, the ones that I'm aware of is the 5-2, right? So basically, essentially, you're going to eat for five days, and then you're going to fast for two days during the week, which you're not going to eat mm-hmm. at all. So 24 hours of not eating. Um, then the other one that I'm aware of is basically you're going to eat for eight hours. You have an eight-hour window. And then for the other hours that you're up, or essentially you could be sleeping, is you're not eating at all. Mm-hmm. So again, you have eight hours to eat, and then you have a window of 16 hours of not eating at all. Mm-hmm. Um There are other types, and that's what I sort of wanted you to go into a little bit more of, too. Sure. I think uh, intermittent fasting got really popular, Mm -hmm. I think, by um, the lean gains model. I forget the Mm -hmm. gentleman's name, but um, it was essentially an intermittent fasting protocol where um, athletes would were encouraged to... Uh, at least a lot of them would, would train fasted in the morning, and the only thing that they would have would be... Uh, I think up to like 30 calories of uh, some of a source of food that has no carbohydrate in it. Um, and then you could supplement with branched chain amino acids. Um, and then your first meal would be at about noon or one. And then you would, you could eat until 6 p.m. There was lean gains and then um, eat, stop, eat, which is similar to the Five two, like you said, yep. uh, Brad Pilon's intermittent fasting method, which is basically just one day a week you don't eat, um, and then I think that that covers most of them. And then I don't think we've talked a lot about it on this pag- podcast yet, but the fasting mimicking diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, go into that. I don't know. I've, I remember you saying talking a little bit about that, but the ketogenic diet is another name for the fasting mimicking diet. The concept is that you know for for certain conditions, mm-hmm. having a uh, a very low consumption of carbohydrate can be uh, very important or beneficial. Um, I mean, it's super popular now. Um, it's not to feel like they're almost different discussions, but um, 
those are the, those are the ones that comes to mind. Uh, the other the other one being, I think the newer one is the carnivore diet, uh, which is similar but different. It's in the ketogenic diet. Your 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 goal is to eat in a way where your body is uh, begins to utilize mostly ketone bodies for fuel versus um, glucose or gluconeogenesis through protein consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the carnivore diet is just eating meat. So it's a lot of gluconeogenesis happening. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that's like the first place to sort of start, I would say, is the idea of, okay, why would a person want to do this? Right. Right. So regardless of if you're doing ketogenic diet, if you're doing uh, the 5-2 fast, if you're doing sort of the fast of 16 hours, the major thing is calorie deficit, right? right? So I think that's a key thing for everybody to sort of understand is you're, all you're trying to do with all different types of diets is to create some type of calorie deficit that is quote-unquote easiest for you. If you want to lose weight. For sure. For general right? pop. Yeah, for the general population. I want to go back to something you said regarding like lower carbohydrate diets. So I had a, a unique experience. I was talking to a local track and field team and I was talking to the, the team and saying sort of how like ketogenic diets are not for athletes who are looking to improve endurance and improve like race performance for like a 1500 meter runner for example or a mile um and what he was sort of saying and he sort of said i don't allow the ketogenic diet on my team because the research is very very clear for athletes that it's not good for um endurance athletes um who are looking to increase their pace so Mm -hmm. run faster yeah um, ultra marathoners and extreme ultra marathoners may be different, right. but for that different population, right? So going back to the general population, trying to create a calorie deficit is the major goal for weight loss. Um, and I think these are just different ways for people to do it, depending on what they sort of struggle with. Right. Um, the one thing, and I'd like to pick your brain about it, and I've experienced through my sort of young career, people when they try to lose weight, right? and they overeat something, mm-hmm. it is very psychological. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of psychological components to it. Um, how would you go about that with a person who comes into you and let's say they have a very difficult time with food X? How would you go about that from a psychological perspective? So, so I can go let's from say, a dietitian okay, too. so let's say they're, you're t- you're, the question is a person wants to do intermittent fasting and mm-hmm. they have a lot of trouble with overeating on peanut butter right okay use that as an example okay so how how are those things related in your mind so let's say they're eating because of boredom right right so end of the day or stress from work so Mm -hmm. some type of emotion when they get home from work Mm -hmm. um so essentially they're eating during the day let's say they try to be quote-unquote good throughout the day they get home they have dinner but then they realize they're still hungry after dinner Mm -hmm. and they always habitually go after peanut butter, Mm -hmm. right? So what are some strategies or techniques that you would sort of help that person with, right? To sort of with weight loss. Absolutely. So I think for anybody, it's beginning to understand the difference between physiological hunger and emotional hunger, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Physiological hunger is, is often felt in in more the body than the head okay right so you know grumbling low energy feeling cold Mm -hmm. um 
Anything you would add there? So I think for me, one of the clearest distinctions is somebody is actually trying to look for a specific food, right? So somebody, when they're going through an emotional hunger state, Mm -hmm. we'll use the example of peanut butter. I really want peanut butter, Mm -hmm. right? So a strategy that I'll use with a patient is I ask them, what's a food that you really don't like, but you also would eat it, Yeah. right? So for most people, it's something like cottage cheese yeah, sure, or like um, baby carrots. So what I say is, would you be hungry enough to have that food? If they say yes, That's an excellent question. Then what they said, if they're saying yes to that, guess what that means? They're actually probably physically hungry. Yep. The other thing is, after they're done eating that item, right? So after they're done eating the peanut butter after an emotional issue mm-hmm. or an emotional eating episode, then what happens is they're still not satisfied. Mm-hmm. So right, because they're they're never hungry in the first place. Right. So that's a key distinct. Those are two key distinctions that I'll make with a person. Just to sort of identify that, like, that was an emotional eating issue versus an actual physical hunger. Yep. And it becomes really tricky to, to tease out, potentially, because a lot of the foods that we psychologically crave are foods that are meant to be eat, eaten in bulk, right? So, right. And again, you know, there's a difference between unsalted, unsweetened peanut butter versus Jif, right? right? That's a food that is potentially designed to eat a whole bunch of right um but i think you're totally right so that that whole piece about craving it is is in the is largely in the mind right uh, versus in the body yeah the other the other aspect i think that's important that i sort of like illuminate for a patient would be the idea that hunger is an okay thing to go through yes right it's totally fine to be hungry i always like correlate it with sleep mm-hmm. in the sense that like when you're tired you can always watch another episode of Netflix or of your favorite show, Yep. right? It's the same thing with hunger. You can push it off, right? You can push it off for a little bit, but you don't want to keep pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off because then it's going to get worse or you're going to have something that's even worse than just hunger. You're going to have basically an eating disorder, yeah. essentially. What, what happens is, in those cases, is that it becomes harder and harder to distinguish <clears throat> Emotional hunger and physical hunger. For sure. So they just get all wrapped up in each other. For sure. With intermittent fasting, it, you know, a lot of how it was initially marketed was I can eat as much as I want, whatever I want. Right. And I will, and you know, people on videos, you know, on the internet just yeah. shredded, right? Questionable. Yeah. Questionable. <laughs> very, very, very questionable. questionable. <laughs> uh, you know, that some of that came out later on. Yeah. Uh, but we know, and, and some of the research actually that I'm aware of on the utility of time-restricted eating does support some of that, that if you eat in a smaller window of time, mm-hmm. um, in a condensed window of time, that can actually uh, improve biomarkers of uh, inflammation in, in populations who are suffering from things like cancer, from my understanding. But for mo, you know, for especially like weight loss, body comp, like going back to what you're saying is yeah. all the research that I've ever seen, and I'm not in the field of, right. of dietetics. Yeah. Is, um, it's how do you establish a calorie deficit? Right. Oh, and that that's it. And then you think about like, oh, why is the ketogenic diet so effective? Right. For many people, right. So first, you initially want to say there's a lot of water loss that's going to happen with carbohydrates, yes. right? So when we talk to athletes, 
that's one of the major reasons why you don't want to do that when you're performing, uh-huh. right? Because you're you're essentially going to be losing a lot of that fluid that you want to hold on to. You have to supplement with salt usually. Yeah, but salt. So think about this. So go a little bit scientific for you. Carbohydrates need salt in order to get into the cells that they need to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, so it also brings water along with it. Yep. So when you also consider sort of the ketogenic diet, it removes a lot of those emotionally eaten foods. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you're extremely strict on the ketogenic diet, peanuts, nuts, all of those things are also off the table. Yep. Right? So I don't think, and this is just, again, anecdotally from the patients that I've worked with, I don't think many people know exactly what the ketogenic diet consists of. No. They think it's just protein and, like, high-fat foods. But the reality is it's not even high-protein. Because then essentially gluconeogenesis then will take over and then we'll sort of sort of start that process can you in 30 seconds explain what that is to people gluconeogenesis so it's creating glucose out of something that's not glucose so yeah so there's really there's really four major gluconeogenic sort of elements right alanine right glycerol right then what you have is some types of um or you're going to have some type of like pyruvate and then also lactate. Mm-hmm. Those are all going to create some type of... That's going to translate into glucose, mm-hmm. essentially, somewhere. Energy so production. in 30 seconds, basically, quick and easy, it's something that's going to create glucose out of non-glucose yeah. items. I realize we said that word like five times and I never explained what it was. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I think you're right. I think... Yeah. Uh, so the ketogenic diet got marketed as a weight loss tool. Yeah. And it's the most restrictive, hardest to follow diet there is. And it's one of those things where if you go off of it, it takes a little bit of time to go back into it. It's yeah. not one of those things you can just go on and off, on and off. Well, that might be up for debate. Uh, if you, to get into ketosis, I mean. Well, if you supplement with ketone esters. Right. And some for some people, just one serving MCT oil will knock them into ketosis. Right. So there's ways of... Um, cheating is not right but there's ways of of having that process go be initiated very quickly right um but it's not i think that's maybe even different than what you're talking about like right. like actually doing it through food yeah oh yeah uh, through nutrition it's very difficult through nutrition yep and the idea of how ketosis maps onto uh the inter, uh, intermittent fasting is just you're you're deprived of a of a certain l- amount or type yep. of macronutrient right and your body changes. So I think, and I'm gonna, I like to take tangents, so I think this is a, an interesting tangent, but a lot of people, when they talk to me, especially athletes, talk about cheat days. Right. Right, quote unquote cheat days. And I think it's very similar to sort of the philosophy that you were talking about before, where like, oh, you can eat as much as you want in eight hours. Yes. The initial philosophy behind a cheat day was because you only want to do it once. Mm-hmm. And it just was so uncomfortable that you never want to do it again. Yeah. Right, so you'd eat a whole bunch of food yep. that you quote unquote restricted. Yep. Right, but then what happens is you eat so much of it, you're just like, I am never doing that again until next Saturday. Until next Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> but they, it was so that was the philosophy behind it. Yeah. Is you're not lim- eliminating things, but yep. you're just saying I can only have it on X day, and and I'll eat as much of it as I want. And to your concern that yeah. you shared earlier is that. Is that the recipe for an eating disorder? Yeah. So in my opinion, so um, disordered eating patterns or tendencies 
are very high in correlation with sort of intermittent fasting, okay. right? Because if you're experiencing hunger and you're saying, I'm not hungry, that sounds very similar to a lot of other eating disorders, right? Um, the other thing I think that's interesting too is a lot of people do it for body composition reasons. Yes. Okay, so you're, you are probably much more well-versed than I am at the DSM-5. Mm-hmm. But the DSM-5 for anorexia, it's the fear of like weight gain, mm-hmm. right? And sort of body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. right? As well as a calorie restriction, even though that you're hungry, mm-hmm. right? So we're hitting two of the three points for anorexia nervosa just with eating, like with intermittent fasting. Good points. So I'm very skeptical when, a, when an athlete or an individual comes in and says they want to try it. So I tend to be a little less pathologizing around okay. intermittent fasting for yeah. two reasons. Okay. Both of them are cultural, right? Meaning that it has become part of our culture as an acceptable means of, of addressing weight loss. Okay. Also... Boy, I'm probably going to get people who disagree <laughs> with this one. Okay. But um, outside of, all, of our culture, yeah. how many societies are eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I don't know. That's, so that's a question. Right. right? Is, is, is our, you know, are we trying to, ex, is it, not export, but um, is this a way of eating that a lot of humans have done? And maybe still do mm-hmm. that uh, we not pathologize is the right word, but because of how bizarre our culture is around eating, weight loss, yeah, yeah. and fitness, that it just ends up getting thrown into this whole ball of strangeness. Um, but I, I do wonder how much of it is culturally based. Um, both currently and globally and historically. Um, but yeah. also, of course, if a person has a history of eating disordered behavior, right. they should be very cautious about approaching that. And I, want, I, I think I want to clarify too. So I'm not saying if you're doing intermittent fasting, you have an eating disorder. Yeah. Right? It's just, it's very similar to eating habits that people with eating disorders have. So it's a tendency that yeah. they have. I'm, right? I'm going to... Yes, in the worst case, it's I'm going to undereat and undereat, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'm really going to work out hard, right. and I'm going to just eat anything, right? Right, and then I'm oh I don't feel so good. I'm I'm not losing weight. I'll, let's do it even harder. Right, let's, let's restrict the window even more, and uh, let's let's double our cardio or or whatever, yeah. and so. Like you're saying, it's a slippery slope. Right. You know, and it's it's. It, I think it depends on the person. Right. It depends. It really depends on the person. No, I agree. For Gen Pop. Right. It depends on the person. For sure. If you're an actor training to be in a movie, and you want to look a certain way or something right. like that, you know, a lot of actors I, I've heard talk about, you know, intermittent fasting protocols, which is possibly not true either uh as whether or not it's actually effective athletes are different yes totally different Um, why 
So I would say an athlete, many athletes who I've worked with have a hard time just getting in enough calories that they need. Um, we've talked about the red syndrome, right? Or the, the relative energy deficit in sport. Um, many athletes don't get enough calories in, right? That's why we see potentially injuries, right? That's why we also see underperformance when it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think with athletes, it's definitely a recipe for decreased performance. Um, and I think that's why you'd work with somebody like myself or yourself, right? So like a registered dietitian and psychologist, because you need to be able to fuel properly, mm-hmm. not just to get calories in, right? But to get to get the spectrum of things that you also need. And why? Why are you doing it? Are you, are you, do you want to lean out, right? Is, is that actually one of your goals during the season? It, is that something you can actually do? And perform the way you want to perform. Right. Um, figuring out, you know, we've we've talked about this at least twice in this podcast. Like, what's why are you doing it? Ask right. yourself why. Oh yeah. Um, if you know there, the, to my knowledge, there isn't evidence of performance gain on yeah utilizing intermittent fasting protocols. Yeah, I mean, and the, I mean, the research is pretty clear on the sense that if you're in a, ca- a huge calorie deficit, you're not going to be able to perform. Mm-hmm. Right? It just, it's almost like uh, common knowledge. The other thing, and I, I, I saw this in a, uh, in a, not a research article, but I saw this in a, uh, um, some journal article, not research like peer reviewed, but just like um, outside magazine. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you're, you have your bank account and you just keep asking to take money out, take money out, take money out, take money out. Sooner or later, you're going to have zero. Mm-hmm. And that zero is an injury illness, overtraining syndrome, right? All these different factors that sort of limit performance. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best things an athlete can always think about is the more consistently that you train without any stop, right, that's not in your control, mm-hmm. the better you're going to be. Yeah. I think so. I think if you undereat, it's just a recipe for like decreased performance and injury. Yep. Chad Wesley Smith from Juggernaut Training Systems yeah. talks about consolidation of stressors. Yep. Right? You undereating is a stressor. For sure. Undersleeping is a stressor. Overtraining is a stressor. Or training in a non-fed state. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think that's the biggest thing that I see with athletes is they don't eat before they have before that before an event or before competition or before practice. So do you think that's lack of education or do you think that i think it's a mix i think it's a lack of it could be a lack of education but i also think it's a lack of time so when i work with a lot of college athletes biggest thing that they that i see a lot of they don't eat enough and they're running from class to class to class just because they can't stop at the dining hall Mm -hmm. because the dining hall is all the way across campus and that's when i work and educate them on bring something with you and they don't have necessarily like the established life skills yet to like sure to to, ma- to manage all of that and, and yeah. plan meals and pack meals and all that stuff. Yeah. No, I think that's that's an interesting point. I wonder if it, I wonder if it's also something else though. Like, what's the other side of that? The other side of so not so eating before. so you said it could be education. Oh, yeah. you said education or time. Yeah. The other thing I think that's that's a really sort of light bulb moment is when an athlete does it and it like it sticks and it feels good. They exercise, the performance is good. I always say 
the meal that you're having before you perform or before like your practice isn't necessarily going to be the thing that will help you perform like an hour before, mm-hmm. right? Unless it's caffeine or something like that. But it's that thing that's going to give you a little bit pushed at the end of practice when everybody else is sort of tired, right? And as you're consuming something, hopefully if your practice is longer than 90 minutes, right? Consuming something when you're practicing. I, I totally hear that. I also wonder if there's still... This isn't a wonder. This is real. If yeah. there's like a, a mentality of like no pain, no gain. Oh, of course. Right? If I'm... If I suffer more, I'm going to get more. And because you will <laughs> suffer more yeah. when you are not eating. <laughs> well, I think that's a good point. So, I mean, I've done this occasionally too where I don't eat enough before I train. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you feel like you're training harder. Yeah, you feel like you're training harder, right? But I also think the other thing is like it's just like going through the motions, like, I don't know about you, but when I'm fed and I'm training, mm-hmm. I feel like a million bucks. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, oh, my God, the weight's lighter. The reps feel faster, right? Those things are more important to me than sort of just like, oh, I'm just going to go and squat X pounds, mm-hmm. right? I think that's really important is, like, get the most out of training versus just training. Yeah. I don't – that's a good question. I, I will agree that – Training fed is a much more comfortable, enjoyable experience. Sure. I would say sleep for me is the more determining factor. True. It's a it's a hot commodity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I and I, and I know. Um, I know uh, that there are certain days that I'm going to be un, I'm not going to be rested. Yeah. But it's if I don't train, the training won't happen this week. Right. So. But think about that. That's also high school kids. College kids were the exams, right? right? So I think you almost have to sort of like make that a prerequisite before you train is like sleep enough, right? Yes. Or And that enough is different for everybody, mm-hmm. right? The other thing is I think I'd be interested to look at, but like intermittent fasting, how does it influence sleep? Supposedly it, it can improve sleep. Okay. Because your organ... Quality of sleep or just like how many hours you're sleeping? Uh, that's a good question. From what I read, it so your organ systems have their own circadian rhythm. Okay. Right? And that um, ingesting anything other than water like kind of starts, starts the clock ticking. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, well, you know, it's actually, it's hard to kind of... Now that I'm, I'm thinking about the findings, like... A lot of it is like stopping eating at like six PM. Right. But you could you could do that on a and just eating three meals a day. But um but yeah, but I'm also gonna say this, right? So we'll we'll go back to general population. Oh, you could go to athletes too. But general population, let's start there first. Uh there's research that's done with like elderly individuals, mm-hmm. right, in regards to like protein intake prior to bed. It's much better at sort of maintaining muscle mass or maintaining sort of that protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. So the breakdown and the build up of sort of skeletal muscle, it's much better at that than if you go to bed fasted, which is obvious because, again, your body is doing that recovery overnight. Same thing for an athlete. I think it's just another opportunity to get in enough calories. Mm -hmm. The only thing I stress with athletes before they go to bed and eat is make sure that it doesn't make you have like that acid reflux or that GERD symptoms. As long as it doesn't do that, I would I'm say you're, I'd say you're okay. So I, I should also clarify that none of my awareness regarding time-restricted eating on sleep is, is, is it with athletes. It's yeah. all with Gen Pop. Yeah. Um, so 
to your your point is is good. But I'd be interested, right? Because you say like, oh, like when people are like when they're on intermittent fasting, they sleep more. And then what I think about is, is it because they're tired, like physically tired, mm-hmm. or is it because they're just not eating enough? Yeah, or or they need to recover more from the stress right. of being underfed. Right. You know. You know. So yeah. I think that'd be that'd be interesting to look at. Another like idea in this concept of consolidating stressors is that intermittent fasting is another stressor on the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, if you're an athlete, professional, college, high school, all of us have enough to be stressed about or worry about. Sure. And if you're just adding, you're adding another stressor on your body. For sure. Um, so, in a less ideal situation, that stressor is pulling away from your body to adapt to whatever the training stimulus you're trying to use is. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I think when I work with athletes, I always ask them, why do we need rules about eating? What do you mean? Like intermittent fasting is rules. Yeah. Right? I mean, we have plenty of rules on ourselves already. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I think it's really just listening to your body. And I know there's like, so there's a whole idea about like intuitive eating mm-hmm. which is a very complex sort of like way of eating mm-hmm. but i think it's in my opinion i think it's the ideal way for an athlete to consume their calories yes so with a caveat so if an athlete is trying to gain weight or a person is trying to gain weight they are going to eat past full frequently right same thing when somebody's trying to lose weight it's okay to be hungry like we said in the very beginning but or to be over to be slightly over full if you're trying to gain weight but that's for a purpose yes so i think where it might not not that it doesn't apply but yeah. doesn't you know we can't say it applies 100% is for gen pop populations who are suffering from something like metabolic syndrome mm-hmm. where they're you know physiologically they're queuing for satiety and, and fullness is just not regular and so they can't quite trust yet right what what their body is telling them right um but i think it's something to consider for anyone in the long term yeah you know to be able to trust your body and what it's saying yeah um for sure definitely yeah and i think that's the sustainability though of it right because many people with weight loss we go back to gen pop it's not sustainable Mm -hmm. we went we talked about that with the ketogenic diet just it's you can't do it forever well, what's not sustainable? Ketogenic diet. I know that's a very like Prob- abrasive like comment, but I don't yeah. think it's I don't think it's actually feasible to stay on it for the rest of your life. Okay, I, I'll I'll give you that. What a, do you think intermittent fasting is? I don't think it is either. I'll give you a good example, right? So, um, I always like to, and I'm not a parent, so you'll probably answer this better than I can. I think it's very difficult to do intermittent fasting with kids. I just couldn't imagine doing that 5-2 with kids and making it seem like it's okay to do. Um, you might be surprised. Um, I, I, would just, I would just find it difficult. Like, for example, let's say one of the days you're Oh, 5-2. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, so... Like, I would, I would be nervous on, like, what the child is thinking regarding, we, like, why, why isn't daddy eating? Or that's, why isn't... We've talked about this before. That's an excellent question. I would say more practically... For me, yeah, it's impossible. 
Yeah. It, I mean, before I had a child, it was it would be much easier for me yeah. to do that. Since I had a child, I cannot intermittent fast. Like, it just my... There's so much more um, having to be on, yeah. right, that requires more energy. And can I ask you this? Yeah. I don't mean to cut you off. Do you, What do you think? Can you do the ketogenic diet? I don't know. I, I haven't tried. But, like, I mean, how would that influence the child and all that kind of stuff? I don't know. I think... I'd be interested to see. It, I'd be... That's, that's an interesting point. I think it's... Um, I think, again, we had this conversation last time. It's all around how you frame it, you right. know, you don't want to be creating shame and blame yeah. around foods or eating patterns, right? Right. You know that, um, you can have what you want, right. you know, you know, if things are like dessert foods, you probably don't want to have it all the time, yeah. but we can have them sometimes. Yeah. That's okay. Um, and your question's a good question though. You know, if, but I, mean, I would always I would be curious just to see how would that influence the child, mm-hmm. right, long term, mm-hmm. right, and short term, mm-hmm. right? Like when they go to a birthday party, are they going to be the kid who's saying, oh, I'm not having birthday cake. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't expect that at all. But like, yeah. oh, what would be what would happen? You can ask the same question of people who are like vegetarian, vegan. Yeah. You know, I don't I'm not eating whatever X food. Um all these diet camps are really interesting yeah. because I, I go back to culture and how yeah. one, of my, one of my thoughts I have a lot about diet camps is how, how much they're based in privilege. We have all the food. That's very true. We have so much access to food. I could decide tomorrow that I'm only going to eat raw vegetables. I, yeah. Where else in the history of the planet Earth has that been an option? That's a very good point. A choice. Yeah. I, tomorrow I can just eat all meat. Oh, I know. I, no, I think that's a really good point. And I, I think uh, that really gets lost in... Because it ends up being just kind of like, uh, you know, battles and wars on social media between yeah. ideological camps uh, yeah. regarding food versus what's going to keep us all healthy in the long run. Yeah. There's broad sweeping concepts... And then there's idiosyncrasy. Yeah. Right? There's, we all have, our, you know, we all have our own stuff that we might have been born with. For that's sure. important to understand. Definitely. But, um, you know, your point, your point is, was really good. Like, why do we have to have rules around eating? Yeah. Um, my question to you is, yeah. what if eating intuitively for somebody meant intermittent fasting? That's interesting because I'll get a lot of patients where their first comment to me is, I'm never hungry for breakfast. Yes. Right? And then I'm like, okay, how long does that last for? And they'll say, and this is like my, my initial se- session with the person, they'll say, uh, I'll, I could probably go until 10 or 11 and not eat. Mm-hmm. And they wake up, let's say, 7.30 or 8. Right? So they can go like two, three hours without eating. So my first thought is, I always look back at the next, the day before. Mm-hmm. So I look back to see what did they do in that evening, right? Because right. what if you ate a large portion of food? Mm-hmm. Of course you're not going to be hungry, right? Mm-hmm. Digestion slows down overnight, yep. right? So you don't have to wake up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. So with that being said, I always look at there. But then if we correct that sort of evening sort of issue, if they're overeating, for example... 
usually they're going to wake up hungry. Typically they're going to wake up hungry. But are you are you adhering to your own rule right now? I sure am. Right. <laughs> but I think but, like I think it's intuitive, right? So I'm not saying you have to eat immediately yeah. when you wake up, but I also think it's very important for you to make sure that you're consuming something. So can I go into that research article real quick? Of course. So there's an article that was in the, I believe it was in, it was in the Exercise Metabolism Journal 2015, um, which looked at male cyclists. They were habitual breakfast eaters. They always ate breakfast. Um, When they were cycling, right, they would eat breakfast before they trained in the evening. They split them up into two groups, people who'd eat breakfast, people who didn't eat breakfast, right? But they would eat immediately before training. So group one, they'd eat breakfast and they'd eat what they want before training. Then group two would not eat breakfast and eat ad lib or whatever they wanted for before training. So that group that didn't eat breakfast would eat about 150 extra calories. But what the research demonstrated is the group that ate breakfast, regardless of how much you ate at lunchtime, outperform the people who skip breakfast, right? So I think, again, going back to sort of the general population, right? So that that was with the cyclists and athletes. But I think for people who skip breakfast, that's missing an opportunity to get a really well-balanced meal that sort of meets your your needs. That point is would be my critique and a thought that I had about it is, mm-hmm. if you want, I mean, if you want to, if you are an athlete and you are considering intermittent yeah. fasting as a way to eat, I mean, got to make sure you're you're hitting your 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 caloric and macro needs and micro needs, micro needs too, right? Yeah. And what becomes challenging is that if you wait till noon or whatever to have that meal, yeah. you you pretty you usually will have so usually you eat a lot, yeah, and you have this really gnarly postprandial response where you are like a walking zombie. Like yeah. you just want to sleep. That's only just because you you ate more than your body could figure out how to manage. Right. Yeah. But I think the other thing, so I'm speaking to a high school cross-country track team tomorrow. Biggest thing, I think, for high school kids who who fast, right, or who, who don't eat breakfast, they just skip breakfast. Um, the biggest thing is there's a lot of restrictions for them when they get to school, right? Like, oh, you can't have peanuts anymore. You can't eat in class, Right. Breakfast is the one meal which you can actually eat and not be restricted based on anybody else but what your restrictions are. Like if you have allergies, of course, you're not mm-hmm. going to have peanuts for your breakfast, right, if you're yeah. peanut allergy, right? But I think overall that's one meal that you don't have to have restricted. So I think that's an important point too for a lot yeah. of people who are in those those worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I could do me. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Anything else about this? No, I think that was a good one, though. That was a good one. Yeah. All right. I think we covered a lot. We did. We went I, all over the place, but I like we like to take tangents. So. That's fine. I think um, things we didn't cover are maybe. Yeah, we can always cover them. You know, I go back to some of the the longevity people and uh, and mm. what they think about intermittent fasting. How maybe having times where we're not eating can like reduce telomere length and promote mm-hmm. autophagy. Yeah. But again, I think that's, can I that's ask a you gen pop concern. Can I ask you though? Go ahead. What does exercise do? Exercise promotes autophagy. 
right? So think about that. Is I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. Right. But you want to also think there's a lot of other sort of ways that we can sort of extend our life, which are not so depriving. Yes. Right? Because yeah. I, I, I read a lot of that research regarding like calorie restriction and inflammation and all this kind of stuff. So I just think it's... I think it's very, very difficult for people to do. And the calorie restriction, and this is going to, yeah, I would just say it's very difficult for people to do. Mm. Um, And is it worth it? Like we said in the beginning, like, why are you doing it? I mean, if you deprive yourself for so long and then you get to be like 112, like, is it worth it? Why are people doing it? Because they don't know how to eat. Right. And what they imagine is, is that intermittent fasting will get me to a six-pack. Yeah. Well, that's how it was first, if you remember, that's how it was, I think it was Market, was it? I think, I'm trying to think of his name. Oh, he's, he's not, he's from like the, the Europe or something, yeah, the Netherlands or something. Yeah. Start with a B, Mark? I think it was like, I can't remember, whatever. I can't but, remember but I that. think that's how it was initially like yeah. pushed out. Yep. was like, oh, you get super lean. Yes. Right, because, oh, it's going to affect all your hormones, right, and all the different hormones, right? Um, but yeah, I think... Yeah, I think it's just... Jury's out. Yeah, jury's out. Jury's but, out. can I say one other thing? Yep. What's the difference between intermittent fasting and three meals a day? Well... Breakfast, lunch, dinner, like grandma and grandpa used to eat. I, I don't, I, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for that right now. Because I think, right, if you think about it just like logically, you're still fasting and you're utilizing those calories you took in, Right. What's also interesting is a lot of um, uh, aesthetic sports yeah. utilize breakfast, lunch, dinner. Yeah. Because just exactly like you're saying, you have a targeted initial meal yep. that is meant to boost performance. Yeah. And then your second meal is, is a recovery meal. Right. Right. So. Oh, no. I, hey. I'm with you. <laughs> I know. It's just interesting. I think it's interesting. I, I find it really fascinating on, like, how things become popular. Yeah. Like intermittent fasting, like ketogenic diet, like, um, yeah, a lot of just different, like, eating styles or patterns. Well, so, and then there was Dave Asprey and the Bulletproof Exec. Oh, Are you familiar, remember this guy? Yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah. that's what really took it to the next level. So you'd have your bulletproof coffee, yep, which was two <laughs> tablespoons of grass-fed butter. Well, actually, I don't know how. I'm many just gonna let you know. You you know this, right? A a stick of butter is eight tablespoons. Oh yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> That's a fourth of a stick of butter in yeah, your coffee. Yeah, hundred percent. So I I don't know. I don't remember the the original recipe, but it was. Wasn't it coconut oil too? Well, MCT oil. Yeah, it's on that. Yeah. yeah. MCT oil or coconut oil or one of those. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I don't have to eat for the whole day. And now people know, duh, you just, like, <laughs> consumed a thousand calories. So that's your, that's your macros for, for most oh, of the day. Yeah. But yeah, just that, like, oh, how did that catch on? Um, like, that's what I mean, how, like, popularity of things? I yeah. I find it fascinating. I, I think we're, you know. I think I, we're really grasping at straws. Yes. Many individuals are. Yeah. How to, how to, how to be healthy. Yeah. Because it's, we, the way health is marketed on television and social media is it's going to happen quickly. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a 30 day juice cleanse. Yep. Um, 
whatever you, you know, uh, 30-day metabolic reset with keto, right. you're, it, that's not what it looks like. No, you have to, you know, so intuitive eating is so challenging because of how much work it takes. Right. It takes so much work on yourself and energy psychologically to think about what you're doing. But can I just throw in one point for you? Yeah. How much energy is food taking up in people's lives in general right now? Oh, that's a, um, like the thought on about it, like oh, all like the people, their, their thoughts about it, like the program that they're following maybe, or the macros that they need to hit. It's taking up a lot of energy. Depends on who you're hanging out with, yeah. I know. Some I, people zero, some right. people a, a lot. Right, but I think like the population that we're thinking of, yeah. um, it takes up a lot of energy. And I don't think it needs to take up that much energy. Yeah. You know, and that's why I really like the intuitive eating sort of pattern Mm -hmm. because you're like helping yourself, right? Versus like depriving yourself all the time. There's an, there's an, so in psychology, we differentiate between intrinsic value and extrinsic value. Mm -hmm. Extrinsic value is like, I will look better. And so I might get rewards. Like intrinsic value is it teaches me something that's important that becomes part of me. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's valuable in that way. Yeah. Um, intuitive eating has intrinsic value. For sure. Definitely. All right. Nice. Thanks for coming on again, Chris. No, no problem. Have a good night, everyone.